Central Power Perspectives podcast, the show where we invite thought leaders in the energy and utilities industry to share about their passion projects, solutions, and thought leadership. Today, we're privileged to welcome a guest from the U.S. Department of Energy who's eager to share with us his perspectives on a wide array of topics about how the federal government is driving change toward tomorrow's grid. My name is Jason Price of West Monroe, and I'm coming to you from New York City. Joining me from Orlando, Florida is Matt Chester, Energy Essentials Community Manager and Podcast Producer. Matt, today's episode is poised to be a great one, don't you think? I think you're right about that, Jason. This should be an exciting episode covering some really timely topics. And once again, we're going to be guided by one of the industry's leading voices coming from within DOE. Yeah, I agree. You know, the effort to modernize the grid has really hit its stride in recent years, becoming a popular infrastructure investment and demonstrating the ability to create jobs, empower customers like never before, and be a key pillar towards the clean energy future that we're all striving for. And looking to make that imagined modern grid one with automation, renewable energy, distributed energy, and more all wrapped into it, the federal government is playing a critical role. Specifically, the DOE has the power of the purse to invest in new pilot programs, early stage R&D, and more. Especially with the Biden administration pushing on climate and decarbonization goals as a key part of its platform, as well as the ongoing discussions about the infrastructure bill, the DOE is emboldened like never before to shepherd in that process. For this episode, we wanted to get as inside of a view into the DOE's perspective as we could to find out what technologies they're betting on, what the process is in making those bets, and more. And luckily, we found an esteemed guest who's excited to answer that call. But before we introduce him to the podcast booth, we want to first acknowledge the Energy Central partners who are making today's episode possible. To Wes Monroe. Westmoreau works with the nation's largest electric, gas, and water utilities in their telecommunication, grid modernization, and digital and workforce transformations. Westmoreau brings a multidisciplinary team that blends utility operations and technology expertise to address modernizing aging infrastructure, advisory on transportation electrification, ADMS deployments, data and analytics, and cybersecurity. To ESRI, ESRI is an international supplier of geographic information, GIS software, WebGIS, and geodatabase management applications. To Guidehouse, formerly Navigant Research, a premier market research and advisory firm covering the global energy transformation. To Enterix, Enterix is focused on delivering transformative broadband that enables the modernization of critical infrastructure for the energy, transportation, logistics, and other sectors of our economy. And to Scott Madden. Scott Madden is a management consulting firm serving clients across the energy utility ecosystem. Areas of focus include transmission and distribution, the grid edge, generation, energy markets, rates and regulations, corporate sustainability, and corporate services. The firm helps clients develop and implement strategies, improve critical operations, reorganize departments and entire companies, and implement myriad initiatives. And now on to today's guest. We're thrilled to introduce to our audience, Garrett Nelson. Garrett is the acting director of DOE's Solar Energy Technologies Office. 
Prior to ascending to his role of deputy director just last year, Garrett spent nearly a decade in DOE's solar office, first as a technical advisor and later as the manager of the manufacturing and competitiveness program and the soft cost program. Garrett's background in physics and solar engineering led him straight to the DOE offices to get his hands dirty in energy technology research, development, demonstration, and deployment. Today, Garrett, like the rest of the DOE, has quite the full plate. The Solar Energy Technologies Office specifically funds early stage research and development projects in three technology areas, photovoltaics, concentrating solar thermal power, and systems integration, and addresses U.S. competitiveness manufacturing of solar technology and soft costs related to solar installations. These wide varying areas keep Garrett quite busy, but they're essential towards creating a more friendly environment for solar energy on the grid. And with an administration that really wants to put the pedal to the metal when it comes to grid decarbonization, I'm sure Garrett's phone never stops ringing and we're grateful to just have him on the episode today. So let's not keep him waiting any longer. Garrett Nilsson, welcome to the Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast. Hey guys, I'm absolutely thrilled to be here and representing the DOE. And I'm really excited to be here and thrilled to be sharing all of the great work that the Department of Energy is doing in this space for you and your audience. It's really a great and exciting time to be involved in the clean energy sector. And I'm more than happy to share that with you and the rest of the Energy Central community. Awesome. Well, Garrett, we're thrilled to have you here. So let's just jump into it. The timing of you being on this podcast couldn't be better, as I know your office recently released the Solar Futures Study that looks at what's needed in the coming years to meet grid-wide goals, along with what you've called some eye-popping numbers. For anyone who hasn't had a chance to pick up this report, what are some of the key takeaways you want to highlight? Yeah, absolutely. And I agree the timing couldn't be better. Solar Futures Study was a culmination of over a year of work from the National Renewable Energy Lab in concert with the Solar Energy Technologies Office, really taking a hard look and what we're going to need to be doing and what the future could look like in 2035 and 2050. So I'm going to be talking in a number of capacity numbers here. And you know, for this audience, I think I'm going to be sticking with numbers in AC, just as something for this audience to be aware of as I talk through them. So there are about 80 gigawatts of solar on the grid today. According to our studies, we're going to need closer to about one terawatt of solar by 2035 and 1.6 terawatts of solar by 2050. We can reach those points where we have solar representing about 45% of the energy supply with a goal of ultimately decarbonizing that energy supply in line with administration goals. Currently, the EIA, the Energy Information Agency inside of the Department of Energy, shows that solar will grow at about 10 to 25 gigawatts per year through 2050, totaling only 450 gigawatts by 2035 and 700 gigawatts by 2050. So we're really going to need a sea change in terms of how much solar is deployed and not only deployed, but also going onto the grid. Taking that even further, some preliminary modeling shows that's completely decarbonized the entire energy system. It could end up in a situation where you have as much as three terawatts of solar on the energy system, the electric system, I should say. And so this is clearly a, a massive list that needs to be done. And it's not only the parties who are building the systems, but it's absolutely the parties like your audience who are going to have to integrate all of this onto the grid today. As part of that, we see a massive role for energy storage. So we all know that energy storage is something that's you know, only now starting to come into its own. 
But we need to see a massive rollout of capacity there, getting to 280 to 390 gigawatts by 2035 and 930 to 1700 gigawatts by 2050. Not only that, there would also be the need to be increasing and modifying the transmission capacity in the U.S. so we can get smooth solar energy from sunny regions to where it's needed. Transmission capacity would grow 40% by 2035 and up to 90% by 2050. So clearly there are a number of challenges that need to be done. Now this report doesn't talk specifically about how transmission capacity aspect will be executed, but it's really just about illustrating the size of you know, the opportunity and the challenge for the nation. But the good news is that we are a nation of people who get stuff done. And as part of that, there is an incredible employment opportunity that stands here as well. Achieving deep decarbonization, which is one scenario that this report looks into, by deep decarbonization, we mean reducing 95% of carbon production across all energy. This could be a massive opportunity to save people money, not only in terms of avoiding climate damages, but also increasing air quality and employing people. By some of our models, we see that solar could employ 500,000 to 1.5 million people by 2035. Across the entire clean energy transition, we're looking at, you know, potentially 3 million positions while displacing only tens of thousands, a few tens of thousands of fossil industry jobs. So this is really an incredible economic opportunity for the individuals in the U.S. and obviously the nation as a whole. And if we can do this, then we're going to really help drive economic activity, which has a number of other benefits. Finally, there's also opportunities that we need to be building out and manufacturing everything involved. So if we really drive and push for domestic supply chain, which is something that we're absolutely gunning for, that is another area of potential significant job growth as well. So under all of this, there's really a lot of great opportunities, but a number of challenges, not only in terms of the sheer numbers of things that need to go on to the grid or the sheer numbers of systems that need to be installed or the millions and millions and millions of solar panels, we're also making sure that we have a fair and equitable access to all of these benefits of solar as well. So we're also focusing on how all American individuals can access solar energy, can save money and reduce their energy burden, regardless of geographic location, socioeconomics, or anything of that nature. So it's a tall order that's ahead, and I really encourage folks to take a look at the report. It's got a myriad of details and goes and talks about this much more eloquently than I potentially might be able to and really put some hard numbers behind these scenarios. And so it's really exciting for us to be helping strive for these goals under, you know, under the auspices of the uh, Biden administration. So these are ambitious goals. What do we, specifically the utility leaders listening in today, need to do to make them a reality? You know, it's, it's a little cliche, but I just want to say that I think the biggest thing to understand is that we're in a period of rapid change in the energy sector. Now, we need to be ready to take steps along this transition as they present themselves. Of course, utilities and grid operators have to ensure the lights stay on and that the lowest cost energy can be delivered to their customers reliably and securely. However, that does not have to be in conflict with modernizing and decarbonizing the electric grid and deploying massive amounts of solar, wind, and other assets. The main point that I, I really want to make is not for anyone to rule out a new technology or business model. I mean that in the sense that everything is evolving very rapidly. Yesterday's state-of-the-art is not today's state-of-the-art, and today's state-of-the-art is not going to be tomorrow's state-of-the-art. When you're evaluating new technologies or tools, you know, as reasonable, do not rule them out entirely. Look at them through the lens of how they're going to help you and help your stakeholders today, and then make the decision that you think is best for the stakeholders that you need to be responsible for. However, do not rule something out solely because it is not ready today. 
There are a number of people still, and they think about the cost of solar energy, LCOE that can be delivered to the grid. They might look at the cost as they were three years ago, five years or 10 years ago. But solar energy has seen massive cost declines, along with storage technology as well right now. So I think everyone in the energy sector needs to continually reassess and question their assumptions and make sure that they have the appropriate knowledge that is up to as possible to be making decisions. So again, just to quickly summarize, I would just say, you know, look at everything hard and make sure you're making the right decision today for your constituents. But, you know, things may change by tomorrow. And you just want to make sure that you're continuing to reassess how you're making those decisions and what the most up-to-date knowledge of new technologies is so that you can be using what the latest and greatest thing is for, for your constituents. Garrett, let's backtrack for a second and talk about your role in all this. Can you give us the elevator pitch for what exactly is the Solar Energy Technologies Office and what your role is as acting director? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad we got a chance here. So the Department of Energy is obviously a very large organization, you know, funded to tens of billions of dollars a year. Solar Energy Office sits inside of what's called the Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy Arm of the DOE. So we focus on reducing the levelized cost of electricity from photovoltaics and concentrating solar thermal power being deployed in the U.S., while ensuring equitable access to solar energy for all Americans, ensuring that we have a safe, reliable, resilient, and secure energy grid, minimization of environmental impacts from solar. We want to ensure that we're developing living wage jobs for anybody who's working in the solar energy space. And then ultimately that the U.S. can capitalize on its R&D with domestic manufacturing and domestic value creation. The Solar Energy Office does this by investing in research, development, and demonstration of new technologies, as well as working on non-hardware solutions to reduce what we call solar soft costs, so the cost of anything you can't hold in your hands, like permitting, siting, interconnection, and more, to reach all of these goals above. On top of all of this, you know, we are the U.S. government experts on solar energy and engage government-wide on any issue that relates to solar. As the acting director of the office, I lead a staff of almost 80 technical experts, administrative and operations staff that identifies, funds, and manages research, development, and demonstration projects across all the areas I mentioned previously. I also lead our engagement with the administration and represent the solar energy office both inside the U.S. government and the outside world, such as through this podcast, which again, I'm absolutely thrilled to be here for. Terrific. You touch upon the current administration, and we have a president that wants to go full steam towards clean energy. What areas is DOE focusing on to help make that happen? And how are you spending our taxpayer dollars? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. In the solar energy office, we continue to push the boundaries of the areas that we're working in. You know, traditionally, when people think about us, they think about, you know, new solar cell materials or things of that nature. But we accomplish and work on much, much more, touching all of the kind of goals of decarbonizing the energy sector by 2050. So we're investing very aggressively in the grid tech of the future and all of the subsequent components that could go into a solar energy system. So some of the main areas of emphasis for us, um, of course, is thinking about the grid of the future, both at the distribution and bulk levels, trying to ensure that we have a secure grid by investing in cybersecurity, we invest in the operations of the grid and planning of the grid. I'll talk a little while about you know, kind of some of the sensing and communications work that we're thinking about as a ripe area for investment. Then, of course, ensuring that we have all the right technologies 
that are needed to integrate kind of an, a largely inverter-based future on the electric grid, and then making sure that we're obviously demonstrating those such that grid operators like your audience are comfortable with them so that they can integrate them confidently into the portions of the grid that they're responsible for. Beyond that, there are some kind of new areas that people might be surprised to hear that we work in. Concentrating solar thermal power is another kind of generation that we've worked on, not only for central kind of load generation, but we're also looking at ways that how can we use that heat to decarbonize traditionally very carbon-intensive processes, such as desalination at the low temperature end of the spectrum, or cement making, steel making, and chemical production. Along the vein of concentrating solar power, we're also looking at developing thermal energy storage assets that could be integrated with a CSP plant, but also potentially for them to be standalone. I mean, there could be a future where we could be retrofitting, say, a retiring coal plant to be a thermal storage asset. This is the kind of thing that we put a long view and a long lens in terms of what the future could be and we're thinking about. Another really interesting area is kind of on the land use end of things. So how do we think about the intersection of solar and agriculture? There are actually some really interesting synergies that come when you can put solar panels high enough above some agricultural land, both in terms of the production of the solar and the production of the land itself. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, we're really focused on the equity as it relates to solar energy. This is not only access to solar in order to reduce people's energy burdens, but also on developing jobs, increasing access to those, and opportunities for community wealth building. The administration is committed to ensure that the clean tech revolution and all of its benefits is available to every single American, regardless of location, income, and more. And the Solar Energy Office is very proud to be making these kinds of investments. Let's talk about the technological level. Can you share some of the work your office is doing to move the grid along towards these goals? Absolutely. And there's a lot of work in this space that gets me really excited. And I'll apologize in advance to people from our grid team uh, if they're listening. They do so much good work, and I'm sure I'll be missing at least one or two things here. Uh, you know, we are really focused on some newer technology spaces, particularly getting to the point of being demonstrated such that they can be integrated into the grid in the future. Some of the areas where we're looking hard at are microgrids, hybrid plants, and advanced inverters and other kinds of grid-forming technologies. And specifically, I'm going to start on the last one first, because this is where I'm extremely, extremely excited. So we recently just announced an award of $25 million to the National Renewable Energy Lab and a group of partners to create a consortium that's focused on advancing grid-forming technologies and associated industry standards so we can coordinate and integrate large amounts of inverter-based renewable energy assets on the grid. So clearly, we've lived in a world where things are very inertially based. But today, you know, we're going to be moving more and more to a world where we have more inverter-based assets, where the energy going onto the grid is going flowing through power electronics, whether it be from a wind plant or from a solar plant and so forth. And this consortium is going to be working with national apps, universities, minority-serving institutions, equipment manufacturers, utilities, bulk system operators, and more, with the goal of continuing to be able to push the envelope in terms of what is the next generation of these power electronics going to look like, but also ensuring that we are setting up the appropriate standards for integrating the launch grid and understanding their operation. Also doing a lot in the demonstration space. So how can we stress test these tools in as close to a real world or an actual real world environment as much as possible to ensure that all people who are operating the grid can trust these technologies such that there is no kind of slowing force in terms of integrating large amounts of solar energy onto the grid. What's also of great importance that I mentioned earlier is 
understanding how the grid is operating. And so in this case, we're really focused on how do we develop the sensors of the future and subsequently communicate that back to grid operators. So one topic that we're particularly interested in the coming years is, is how do we ensure that we have that situational awareness, particularly on the distribution grid for distribution grid operators, and how can we bring more information to bear for all of the people who need to operate the grid at all scales? This not only includes kind of behind the meter monitoring and how do you communicate that back, but all the way through to how do we develop new forecasting techniques and new forecasting methods such that we can understand what solar generation is going to be, you know, hours or days into the future, and we can be planning the grid accordingly. I'll end mentioning one more thing in this area. We're very focused on workforce of the future. We have a program going on with uh, the Electric Power Research Institute that I'm really proud of. It's called Great with Data, and it focuses on updating power systems engineering curriculum at universities nationwide. And so this is something that started with a prior program called Geared, where we are working with universities, dozens and dozens of universities, to update this curriculum for undergraduate and graduate students. So we are teaching what the grid of the future is actually going to be. So moving away from kind of the hub and spoke model from the way the grid has been operated in the past and how it's been taught in schools to something that is more forward looking to understanding how two-way flower flow is going to work, to understand what the role of big data and communications is going to be in terms of operating the grid of the future. And of course, ensuring that people are well aware and understand the impact of cybersecurity, cyber hygiene, and so forth. That's great. You know, you are also devoting special attention to the entrepreneurial side of the space. So, you know, share with us what those efforts look like and why are they so important? Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to discuss this. I come from a small business background, so this has a very you know soft spot in my heart. First, why is it so important? The U.S. has a long history of entrepreneurship driving innovation in new industries from early days of things like semiconductors to clean tech entrepreneurs. And all these people have needed government funding at some point to move stuff from the kind of the R&D level into the market space. And we're very excited to be sitting at one of those inflection points where we can move the great research that gets done in our national labs and universities to entities that can ultimately bring them to the market to benefit the American taxpayer and to benefit the American economy. So how we engage with entrepreneurs has evolved over the years. And we have a number of great programs that I can certainly just really briefly tell your audience about. For decades, we've run the Small Business Innovation Research Program, which is a congressionally mandated program that runs across all of the government. And it's really focused on how do we bring small businesses, get them to really understand how do we assess the feasibility of a new technology, and then ultimately move it through to a kind of earlier stage prototype so we can tell if there's the appropriate function and the possibility to have the appropriate function when moved towards more closer to the market. A second area that we've worked on for a long time is what we call our incubator program. So this started in 2007. We've had hundreds of businesses go through, and we've seen them subsequently go on to raise billions of dollars and create market-impacting products. This program will fund anywhere from a few hundred thousand dollars to a couple million dollars across any of the technologies we work on to move an idea from kind of that early-stage rough concept so what I would call it a commercially relevant prototype. So a prototype that is ready to show the full function of what it would need to do in operational environment, but maybe might not totally be in that final package. So you could think of kind of a large brig breadboarded inverter where we're stress testing the functionality. Well, it might show all the function that ultimately the grid's going to need. You know, obviously it will take some companies to shrink it down to the size that would actually be deployed in the field. Another area that's newer to us that we've been running in the last five years is our 
prize programs for our American-made challenges. So these are multiple programs, one for desalination, one for hardware, and one for software right now. They're multi-million dollar prize competitions where groups compete to kind of move up a mountain of prizes where they can get additional cash support from the DOE. And also one thing that's really exciting is getting vouchers from the DOE, which allow people to kind of have time with national lab experts and others who are the people who receive the vouchers themselves. We're really trying to create an ecosystem in this area, particularly through what we call our American-made network. So I just encourage if there are any people in your audience that are passionate about kind of helping people move technologies to the market, then I'd highly encourage them to look into the American-made network. And their companies can reach out to you for your help, and you can help them move their technologies forward and potentially even win a small prize yourself as well. I will just say really quick, the prize program just ended and round five is open for submissions um, now. So we're really excited to see what people can come with there. We have had a couple projects in years past that were very grid focused. We've had resilient power systems from Texas developing a new kind of hybrid inverter that will hopefully make interconnection easier between solar storage and the grid. You know, this is leveraging new kind of wide band gap technologies as well on the semiconductor side. We have another group too called MaxOut Renewables, who's really kind of created like an appliance level flywheel for residential solar installations, such that if there were an outage, it could act kind of like a microgrid and potentially even provide grid services as well. This is all great information, Garrett. So glad to have you on this call. So we want to know more about you, Garrett. So we have what's called a lightning round. So switching gears for a moment, this the next set of questions that I'm going to ask are understand more who is Garrett Nilsson. And your response is in the form of a single phrase or sentence. So are you ready? Uh, let's do it. All right. Dream vacation spot. So I'm a big fan of being what I would call water adjacent. So near water, maybe not in the water, but I can see it. And, uh, I've had my eye on, I think, Spain for a while. So I'd love to get back to the Mediterranean at some point once things loosen up a little bit more. Last book or article that really made you think? Yeah, this book was really kind of impacted me. And I'd really encourage folks to read it if you are interested in the cyberspace. But I read a book recently called this is How They Tell Me the World Ends by Nicole Perlroth, who's a journalist for the New York Times. It's about kind of cyber weapons and the modern landscape of cybersecurity. What is your go-to movie snack? So it was a little old-timey, and I know a lot of people push back on it. I'm going to say snowcaps. I'm not even sure they still sell them at movie theaters, which shows you how often I go. But snowcaps or non-parallels, I believe they're called, are, are definitely my go-to. What would you be doing if your career hadn't taken you to solar energy? Well, I'm probably too old and not talented enough to say professional baseball player at this point. So uh, coming back down to earth a little, I'd probably be doing research or hopefully guiding research at a, a technology company in the clean tech space. And what are you most optimistic about? For me, it's the speed of technology change and the access that it can give to people, whether it be access to internet, energy, water, or more. You know, there's still an unbelievable number of people kind of without access to those things. And the more that we can do to speed the delivery of those things, the more of the world's creativity we can unleash to make the world a better place tomorrow. Terrific. Well, thanks for your real insight into what makes you tick. Since you put up with that, we're thrilled to give you the last word. If nothing else, what single message do you hope our utility professional audience takes away from this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. And, you know, I just touched on it and I touched on it a couple of times. 
But, you know, we are in a time of rapid change, both technology-wise, but also in the energy sector. And utility professionals are in the middle of that transition. New technologies are being developed and deployed more rapidly than ever. So the DOE is here to help entities like all of you in any way that we can in terms of bringing that next generation of technology to the marketplace. I agree. You're doing extraordinary work, Garrett. And, you know, I feel guilty for even taking you away from your, your busy duties your daily uh, responsibilities, but we're thrilled to have you here and sharing your insight to the Energy Central audience. We'll certainly be keeping an eye on all these initiatives for sure, but Garrett, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely, thank you very much for the invite. Yeah, keep up the great work, I love the podcast. Well, once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com And we'll see you next time at the Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast.